Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter number 11, please. Mark chapter number 11. I hope you have a copy of the Bible, God's Word beside you there in your lap. If you do not, then please look on someone next to you that may have a copy. And so we all want to look at the Bible this morning and see what it has to say to us on this Sunday morning. The title of the message, Pass the Fruit. Pass the Fruit. Mark chapter number 11, just a couple verses this morning. We find the same story that we will look at this morning recorded for us in Matthew chapter number 21. It's, and we find in Mark's gospel, it's a little disjointed in, it, in that the subject matter is brought up and then there's a, there's a break and it comes back to it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I won't go back and read Matthew's account, but I encourage you, maybe later on, you want to read Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22. Maybe you want to mark that in your margin that we'll be reading this morning. Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. You'll see it, and we'll eventually get to it on our Sunday morning time together. But this morning, we'll just read really the first half of what's uh, the story with regards to this particular matter. Verse number 12, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he, speaking of Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, He's talking to the fig tree here. No man shall eat of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Again, the title of the message this morning is Pass the Fruit. Let's ask God's blessings if we may please. Father, we do ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray that the hindrances, the distractions, the things that would disturb us would be minimized, and I pray that the devil would be, Lord, that his devices would be put down, and I pray that we would have, you would have the undivided attention of every person in this building this morning, those who are watching by way of live stream, and may there be readied obedience as we come to the conclusion of our time together, whatever you speak to us about, Lord, may we be willing To do that very thing, whether it be to add on, to put something into our lives, or to allow something to fall off. To encourage our hearts, to challenge us. Whatever you do today, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise for it. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You know what an arborist is? Someone who works on trees. Someone who specializes in the cultivation and the care of trees and shrubbery. Now, these folks are trained. They're trained in the particulars of diagnosis, the treatment, and the prevention of tree disease. Who would have ever thought of such a thing? People can make money just looking at trees and determining what's wrong with them. These people are trained for that kind of thing. Uh, disease and pest control and that kind of thing. Today, I want us to learn the skills of an arborist. I want us to learn some skills this morning, that of an arborist. That of diagnosing, treating, and the prevention of disease. 
When we lived back in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, we had purchased a home. It had been there for a number of years, and the previous owner had built that house, and it had probably been there for 40 years or so before we got there. And it had a quite a, an extensive uh, backyard of plantings and large, large oak trees. I dreaded them come Thanksgiving time because I knew my entire Thanksgiving weekend was spent raking leaves. And, but I loved them in the summertime. The shade was wonderful. There were hostas. There were flowers everywhere. I just really enjoyed it. In the back part of the lot, there was some hemlocks. And these hemlocks in the summertime, they would get these things called little white aphids all over them. And I had a large one up in the front corner of the lot. And it was just a huge one. And in the middle of the summer, about this time of year, you'd look at that tree. And these little white aphids, it looked like almost snow on those aphids. And I thought I'd be an arborist. And I said, what in the world am I going to do to save my trees? Well, I got to reading. And, and I understand that if you buy you can buy bags and bags of ladybugs. And these ladybugs, they tell us, will eat upwards to 50 per day or more. I don't know how many of these. They'll eat all these aphids up. And so after buying all these ladybugs, I didn't have an aphid problem, but I had a ladybug problem. <laughs> you ever had them come out in the middle of the, in the winter and you know, it gets warm in the house and all of a sudden you look up and they're everywhere? You know if you suck them up in the vacuum cleaner, it'll make your vacuum cleaner smell bad. Don't try that. Don't try this at home. Yeah, that's what we did. We weren't a very good arborist, but at least we took a shot at it. And while I'm sure that there may be thousands of plant-related diseases that an arborist must be familiar with, I want us to be able to recognize and diagnose and treat the prevention of one main disease this morning. It's the most common disease that's found in Christians. Most common disease found in churches just like this one is the disease of fruitlessness. The disease of fruitlessness. So I want us to consider this this morning from our Bible text and see what the Bible has to say with regards to this matter. It is said that the Bible mentions at least 36 different variety of trees in the Old and New Testament. One study that I read noted that, uh, that other than the people of the Bible, people that are mentioned, other than the people and God himself, trees are the most mentioned living things in the Bible. I, I don't know if that's right, but I'll let you do the research to follow it out yourself. You can begin counting them if you like after the service, but be good homework. The mention of trees, as we consider it, the mention of trees is found in the very first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 1.11, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. We find a tree mentioned in the very first chapter of the Bible. After creation, at the creation story. A tree is also found in the very last chapter of our Bibles. Recall Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life which bore and yielded its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." 
So at the very beginning, the very first chapter of the Bible, we find a tree. At the very last chapter of the Bible, we find a tree. The Psalms, if you consider the Psalms as the center portion of our scriptures, of our King James Bible, in Psalm 1 and verse number 3, we find a tree. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In all of these cases, in all of these instances found in the Bible, we find these trees were planted and they were meant and they do bear fruit. They bear fruit after their kind. By the way, Even in our study in the gospel of Mark, by the time we get to chapter number 15 of Mark's gospel, we find Jesus hanging, suspended by nails between two thieves upon a tree. The cross. Galatians 3 and 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The crown of thorns that Jesus wore, that they platted upon his forehead, upon his brow, it came from a tree. Isaiah 55 and 12. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. You ever heard a tree clap its hands? I think I have. You go out and listen to the wind blowing in the fields, in, in the woods. What are you hearing? You're hearing the trees praise God. The trees shall clap their hands. Mark 11 and 8. Last week we looked at the text. The Bible says that the people, as Jesus was making his entry into Jerusalem, that the people cut down branches from the trees and they strode them along the way in front of Jesus as he came in riding that colt. In our text this morning, we find the story of a tree. It's a fig tree. It's a fig tree. I mentioned our home in Virginia, and also at that particular place in which we lived, also in the back part of the lot, I had a fig tree. First fig tree I ever had. It's the last fig tree I ever had. But I did have a fig tree. And it was really more of a, a large bush than it was a tree. And I understand that in, in Bible days and in, over in that part of the world that a fig tree can get upwards to 25 feet tall depending on how you prune it. So you can have a large fig tree or you can have like I did and you have a bush. Well, I had a bush as a fig tree. And it, it, it bore fruit upon it in the summer and in the fall. The, the fall ones would be the smaller kind of fruit, and it would stay on the tree even throughout the cold, harsh uh, winters there in, 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 in Roanoke. It, it would stay on the fruit, and then come springtime, before the new leaves would come upon it, it would sort of turn purple and ripen just a bit, but it would fall off, and new leaves would come upon the tree, and then after that, there would be a new harvest of figs come upon the tree. And the process would just repeat itself year after year. Now, I'll admit this morning, even though I had a fig tree, I'm not too big on figs. Um, When I was a kid, it seemed like the only cookie that was at the grocery store were Fig Newtons. I'm not a big fan of Fig Newtons. I, 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 I just, 
I've never been figgy about them. Uh, if they were put in my lunchbox, I would always try to trade them out. You know, if you, it's a good bargaining chip until you got with some other kids just like you, and they said, no way, you can't have potato chips, eat your Fig Newtons. And, and I always seemed like I had the Fig Newtons. I'm not a big fan of them as far as the taste goes. But in the Bible, we find fig trees. We find them all throughout the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 and verse number 7, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. There we find the first mention of a fig tree in in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. The fruit of the fig tree was a staple diet and a food source for those that lived, and I imagine even today, those that lived in Old Testament and New Testament Time frames, as well as those are days. Maybe you, many of you have been to that part of the world can attest to that fact. In our text before us, the fig tree was the source of food. It was to be the source of food for our Lord. But also in our text, the Lord, not only does he use the fig tree as a source of food for himself, but he uses the fig tree as an illustration for us. As an illustration for us to see and to learn from. We look in our text. I won't go back and spend the time. I encourage you to get last week's message on the triumphal entry of Christ. But we look at verses 1 through 11. And we saw last week what is considered to be the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. He'd been making his way for his entire ministry and, and, and working away. I shouldn't say his entire ministry. He, he ministered in other parts of, of Judea and Galilee. And, uh, and so now he's made his way down. He's finally come to Bethany and to Bethpage. And now he's coming into Jerusalem. And we, again, it won't take time to preach it again. But last week we saw the triumphal entry of Christ. And At the end of that entrance into Jerusalem, at the end of that day, the Bible tells us that he entered in Jerusalem, verse number 11, and into the temple, and we had looked around about all things, and now the evening tide was come. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. So that one day was a full day, that particular day when he came into Jerusalem. At the end of the day, it had come evening, and Jesus Ends up in the temple. He looks around. He gets, a, he gets a survey of what's taking place. And by the way, we'll come back and pick up as to what Jesus saw and how he dealt with what he saw that day. But at the end of the day, he retreated, if you will, back to Bethany with the 12 others. And the next morning, I can imagine that Jesus, being an early riser, he maybe... And you just see and go over there and say, Peter, Peter, get up, Peter. We got to go. Let's get things together. We got to get the bags packed. We got to go. We, we got work to do in Jerusalem. And I imagine Jesus being an early riser, he gathers all the others together. And so they head out on the two-mile trek, nearly two-mile trek from Bethany into Jerusalem. And the Bible says that along the Two-mile journey, along that journey, it was early in the morning, and the Bible tells us that Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. Now, in this story, we not only see the the deity of Christ, but we see the humanity of Christ. He is the God-man, both God and man. We see his humanity in the fact that he was hungry. 
We see his deity in the fact that in just a few moments and in a few verses later, he literally speaks the word and the tree withered away. We see his humanity as well as his deity. In verses number 13 and 14, let's read them again, if you don't mind. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came to happily, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Jesus sees this leafy fig tree. It looks good on the outside. He sees it afar off, and he comes to the tree seeking fruit. Here's the first point of the message this morning. Here we see an expectant Christ. Here in this passage, we see an expectant Christ. This fruit tree in the passage is an illustrative picture of the nation of Israel. Jesus, he's just made his triumphal entry into the city of David. And the crowds have cried out, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. He just made his entry the prior day. And the next day he's coming back into Jerusalem. And as Jesus came to Jerusalem, he came as king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He came as king. And as king, he came as an expectant king. He comes to this fruit tree, and he's expecting fruit, but he finds none whatsoever. Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. Jesus came in to the city of David, the place where the throne of David would be forever and ever, and he comes into his own, and he's seeking fruit, and he finds none. Jesus was hungered. He looks for fruit, and he finds this leafy tree. But he finds no fruit. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. The fig tree is a picture of the nation. And Jesus as king, he has every right to expect fruit. Let me say that again. Jesus as king has every right to expect fruit. This tree was full of leaves. Some would say, well, that's pretty good. Just that alone, it it shows some life. It's full of leaves. It had an appearance of healthiness, but there was no fruit to be found. Israel, we think about the nation of Israel. They had religion. Oh, they were a religious group of people. Here was coming upon them the Passover. As religious as you could be, keeping the feasts and all of these things. They kept the feasts. They were very, very religious They had offered sacrifices in the temple. And this upcoming week, there'd be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that would be offered. There would be thousands upon thousands of these offered. They were very strict in their keeping of the Old Testament law. They looked good on the outward appearance. But on the inside, they had no fruit. They were whited sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Jesus describes them in another passage in the Gospels. They looked good on the outside, full of leaves on the outside. But on the inside, there was nothing there. They looked good outwardly. 
But inside they bore no fruit whatsoever. Jesus came expecting to find fruit and he found none. And as I mentioned, as king, he has every right to expect spiritual fruit from his subjects. He has every right to expect spiritual fruit from his subjects. In this passage, again, it's illustrative of not only the, the desire to find that fruit that would be hanging upon the tree, but it's a, it's a picture of spiritual fruit that Jesus expects. And he comes expecting to find that. Fruit, by the way, is the natural byproduct of a healthy plant. The natural byproduct of a healthy plant. Fruit is the natural byproduct also of a healthy Christian. Of a healthy Christian. If there's never been any fruit, if there's not any fruit, if there's never been any fruit, it's a good possibility that there may have never been true salvation. The Bible does nowhere gives us the idea and the concept that we have so much in southern Christendom today. That somehow we can just say a prayer and go back into our life. We come out of our life, say a prayer, bend our knees, pray a prayer and walk out and nothing changes. We go back into the same lifestyle. We go back living the same way that we always lived. And that's just somehow okay. That southern good old boy, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Alabama, Brother Andrew, Pennsylvania, I imagine, Brother Haas, that's the Christianity that's published around our world today. The Bible does not give us that liberty to change it. Here Jesus, as the God of heaven, he comes to his Chosen people, and he's expecting fruit from them. And he finds them. Oh, they look good on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. The natural byproduct of a healthy Christian is that of spiritual fruit. Uh, look with me at Matthew chapter number 7, please. Matthew chapter number 7, verses 15 through 20. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. The Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them. How? You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or figs of thistles. What kind of tree do these things bear upon? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree, notice this, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth Good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. Here, our Lord is telling us by the fruits. Yes, it is by the fruit of the false prophets we'll understand if they are false prophets. But God as king expects fruit in the life. 
And he's not saying here, if there's no fruit, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. They're just good old boys, and they'll somehow make it in. That's nowhere found in our text, nor is it found in the Bible. God expects spiritual fruit from the life of the Christian. Now, what is this spiritual fruit? What is the spiritual fruit that God expects from the life of the Christian? Well, we could take our Bibles and we could uh, point out numbers of these kinds of fruit this morning. But let me just throw out a few. There's the fruit unto holiness. The fruit unto holiness. Uh, that's found in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 22. You can look it up for yourselves. The fruit of holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is separated, a life separated unto God. You, you can't have God and have the world at the same time. And so often we find ourselves and we find so many people trying to live one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom and it just doesn't work. You see, there's the fruit of holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. There's the fruit unto God. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 4. Again, I won't read the text. But Romans 7 and 4, it talks about the fruit unto God. It's the life that's lived for God. The life that's lived for the purpose of God. Question this morning. Does our life... Bear the fruit unto God. A life that says, God, I'm living my life for you and for you alone. Or does our life bear the fruit that says, you know what? This is my only shot in this world and I'm going to go full circle and I'm going to take all I can and can all I can get and live life for me. You see, there's a fruit that a Christian ought to bear. It's a fruit unto holiness. It's a fruit unto God, a life unto God. It's also, there's another fruit. It's found in Galatians 5 and 22. There's the fruit of the Spirit. A Christian ought to bear forth some fruit. There ought to be some fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There ought to be that fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's the fruit of the Spirit it ought to be in our lives. There's the fruit of my labor. Uh, Philippians 1 and 22. Paul, I believe, is dealing in that particular passage with the fruit of my labor. Speaking of that of soul winning. Simply telling others about Jesus Christ. Giving a gospel tract, encouraging someone else to come to church with you, uh, living a life that so people can see Christ in you. The fruit of my labor. There's the fruit of righteousness out of Hebrews 12 and 11. The fruit of righteousness. I'm going to shun sin and seek God. I'm going to stay away from the things that would distract me. I'm seeking the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 13 and 15, there's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks. That ought to be something in the life of every Christian. That ought to be a fruit that hangs off of our tree, so to speak. The fruit of thankfulness, thankfulness to God, thankfulness for His goodness to us. That ought to be the fruit of sacrifice, the fruit of service. 
All of these things are fruit that ought to be in the life of the Christian. God expects fruit from us. And mark it down. One day he will come to inspect our fruit. One day God will come to inspect the fruit. We can look so good on the outside. We can compare ourselves with ourselves. I think Seth did a good job on Wednesday night touching on that passage. Comparing ourselves with others. Well, compared to so-and-so, boy, I look pretty good. I do this, and you know, I heard they did that. I hadn't touched that one in a long time, or I've never done that. I look so good. There's a fruit that looks so good on the outside. It can be religious fruit. It can be baptized fruit. Boy, I've been baptized so many times, I can't name them. Baptized over and over again. It can be baptized fruit. It can be church membership fruit. There can be leaves that look like something is there. But on the inside, nothing at all is there. There's no relationship with Christ. There's no reality of Christ in our life. There's no fruit that the Bible describes. We tend to describe our own fruit. We tend to describe what we think is fruit, but the Bible tells us what the fruit is to be like. The nation of Israel had a profession that they knew God, but they had no practice that proved it. There's the crux of the matter. They had a profession that they knew God, but they had no practice that proved it. Here in just a few days, they would be crucifying their Messiah. They would crown him with a crown of thorns. They would beat him unmercifully. They would take nails and pound them into his hands and his feet. And they would watch him and mock him as he hung there in the heat of the day. They had a profession that they knew God, but they had no practice. May I say this morning that I fear much of the same is true in many of our churches today. Much the same is true in many of our churches today as well. A form of godliness, but no power, no functionality of God in our lives. We can miss the house of God. We can miss the church of God. We can never do the service of God, it seems. Or if we do it, we're in one day and out the next. It doesn't matter about uh, what's going on. It doesn't matter about the ministry. It doesn't matter if I'm participating in getting the gospel around the world. It doesn't matter if people die and go to hell around me. It never gives me a thought. It never burdens my heart. It never pains my spirit. We just go on living life as though it's always been. A form of godliness, but no power, no functionality of godliness at all in their life. Let me say this morning, God expects spiritual fruit. He expects spiritual fruit. I get burdened sometimes when I hear someone say, after passing, someone will say, I'm seeking to be I mean, what do you say in difficult times and someone passes into eternity and we have nothing to hang on to? There's no fruit. 
There's nothing to hang on to. That all we have left is they said a prayer when they were 13, when they were 20, when they were 30. But there's no fruit. There's never been anything there. God expects fruit and God will inspect the fruit as well. 1 Corinthians 3 and 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. For it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. God comes and he will inspect the fruit and God knows he will inspect it. The fire is the judgment of God and God can see through the leaves. He can see through all the things that we put upon ourselves, all the trappings of religion. God can see through them all. And he's looking for the fruit that's in our lives. Number one, and I'm nearly done. I'll just touch on these others. We see an expectant Christ. But number two, we see a fruitless finding. A fruitless finding. Back in verse number 13, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came and happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. He found nothing but leaves, a fruitless finding. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. May I say this morning, I don't want to be found fruitless when Christ comes. I don't want to be found fruitless when Christ comes. When might he come, preacher? He might come today. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He might come today. But every day that God gives us, it's a day of grace. It's a day of opportunity. It's a day to bear forth fruit unto God. It's a day to bear forth fruit unto righteousness. Fruit unto faithfulness. And fruit unto service. It's a day to bear forth fruit unto spreading the gospel all around the world. Every day is a grace given to us by God. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. I don't want to be found fruitless when Jesus comes to inspect my life. How about you? You can imagine when Jesus, he comes to the tree. The Bible tells us that he's hungry. I won't ask you how many are hungry this morning. We'll be done in just a moment. But he was hungry. And when he came to the tree, he found nothing. Can you imagine Jesus being disappointed. You know, I wonder if Jesus didn't look at our lives. He said, boy, you know, why dig? The Bible talks about in the passage where he digs them. We'll talk about, I'll get ahead of myself. We'll go to it in a minute. He fertilizes. He loves. He encourages. He provides. There ought to be some fruit here. But he's disappointed. I don't want Jesus to be disappointed when he comes. He longed for the spiritual fruit. Yeah, he was looking for the physical fruit. But he longs for the spiritual fruit in life. He expects it. He inspects it as well. A fruitless finding. Romans 14 and 13. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 
When the day comes that God inspects the fruit of our lives, when he inspects our lives for fruit, let me ask you this morning, and you answer in your own heart, what will he find? What will he find? We can seek to honor God with our lips, but yet our hearts can be far from him. We can seek to be a a tree that's full and leafy and looks so good on the outward side, but our hearts can be far from him. There's the expectant Christ. There's the fruitless ending. And then lastly, notice with me the forever cursing. Verse number 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, the tree, as, as by illustration to the nation of Israel, and by implication in, in further uh, application to you and to me this morning, no man eat fruit of this hereafter forever. No man eat fruit of this, eat, shall eat anything from this fruit. In other words, there's no opportunity. The time for fruit bearing has come and it's gone. None was found, so judgment falls. God comes, he's expecting fruit. He's inspecting it, expecting and inspecting it. And he comes and he finds none. And he says, the time for it is come and gone. And when he finds none, the judgment falls. And understand, the leaves, as beautiful as they are, as busy as they keep us, as outwardly appealing they may be, they did nothing to help us. They did nothing to help us. They did nothing to to impress the Lord. It's not enough. Christ's words were both illustrations as well as prophetic. These words that Jesus is speaking is an illustration of a Christian, of a nation. He says, I'm expecting fruit and I'm going to come and look for that fruit it also was very prophetic. Uh, hold your place. Look over a couple chapters over at Mark 13 verses 1 and 2. It was prophetic. From this day there will be no fruit that will be able to be born from you. Look at Mark 13, 1 and 2. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. This is Herod's temple and in a massive, gorgeous temple it is. And they were admiring the temple and saying, Lord, take a look at the temple, what massive and how beautiful it is. And Jesus answering said unto them, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. This is a very prophetic passage. For in 70 A.D., just a number of years, 40 years later or so, Titus would come and he would sack and destroy the temple and destroy Jerusalem. It was prophetic. It was also illustrative. But let me say, God is not finished with Israel. This is prophetic, but God didn't say God's finished with Israel. And praise God for that. God did not... He came looking for fruit, and he did 
He did not judge them forever. He did not wipe them off forever. But God did judge them for having no fruit. And that's what I'm trying to help us see this morning. God did judge them for finding no fruit. And if we have no fruit, he's going to judge us. If we have no fruit as individuals, he'll judge us. Sir, dear ma'am, dear person, dear individual, young person, whatever age you are, if we are claiming Christ and we have no fruit, God will judge us. God will judge us. Look with me at Luke chapter number 13, verses 6 through 9. And we're done. Here Jesus gives a parable. In Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Find your place there with me, if you would, please. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. And he, speaking of Jesus, spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Notice the one who plants the tree is the owner of the vineyard. The one who plants the tree is God himself. God is the one that's given life. God is also the dresser. He's the farmer. The farmer comes along. He says, verse 8, And he answered him and said to him, Lord, Let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. I'm going I'm to take care of it. I'm going to weed it. I'm going to make sure there's no disease here. I'm going to put fertilizer there. I'm going to take care of it. So I'm going to encourage it to bear fruit. Lord, the grace of God. Lord, don't cut it down. It's yours. You can do anything you want. But don't cut it down yet. Let me dig it. Let me dung it. Let me encourage it to bring forth fruit. And he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also. Space of grace. That I shall dig it about and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, praise the Lord. You know what? It's been worth it all. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Thou shalt cut it down. God will judge us. God will judge us. God gives that parable. In this parable, the Lord is warning those who bear no spiritual fruit in their lives. Do you have spiritual fruit? If there's never been spiritual fruit, the warning is to you to examine yourself to truly see if you've been in the faith. God says he gives us the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has one purpose, to point us to Jesus and to point other people to Jesus through us. And since you came and made a claim to know Jesus Christ, has there been the time when in your life there's been the hunger for God, the thirsting for God? If not, examine the fruit, examine the fruit. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Maybe you're watching by way of live stream. You claim to know Christ, but your heart is far from Him. It's a take it, I can take it, or I can leave it kind of proposition. 
Yeah, I said a prayer way back. Maybe there was some fruit at one time. Maybe there was a time, but it's been years ago. Can I invite you this morning to bear new fruit? It's a new season. It's a new day. Bear some fruit. God expects it of us. God will inspect us. And oh, I don't want God's wrath to come upon me. And I know you don't either. So what do we do? We bear fruit. You say, preacher, I can't. Amen. I can't either. But if we'll simply be obedient to what this Bible says, the fruit will come. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of giving thanks. The fruit of holiness. The fruit of praise. The fruit of thanksgiving. The fruit of sacrifice. The fruit of soul winning. All those things. God will work the fruit through us. If we'll simply be faithful and obedient to his word. How's the fruit this morning? We're arborists, right? We're not looking at the fig tree. We're looking at our tree. How's the fruit? Let's bow our hearts this morning.